If ever we needed to hear from heaven, now is the time. Doesn't it seem like there are so many voices speaking in conflicting ways? So many issues that need to be discussed and then end up argued about with so many different opinions. It's really important that we continue our series today entitled God's New Community because we're talking right now about the church as the temple of God where heaven and earth come together. Our series has already had us explore what it means for the church to be the body of Christ with Jesus as the head and each one of us being parts. And then we looked a few weeks ago at the bride of Christ, that beautiful metaphor that expresses a relationship of both commitment and intimacy. And last Sunday, Jim Lovelady introduced us to this concept of the temple of God. The word temple conjures up a number of images. We're talking about what the Bible says is the place where heaven and earth meet. You see, that's the way it was in the Garden of Eden. And that's the way it was in the times of Moses when God said to the Jewish people, I want to come from heaven and live on earth with my people Israel. Build me a palace. And so Moses built it. It was portable. It was called the tabernacle. And eventually David and Solomon planned to put a permanent structure up in the city of Jerusalem. And if you recall last week, Jim was reminding us that as Christians today, we don't live in that structured temple anymore. In fact, sometimes we're tempted to go back to that. That temple culture should not be our Christian culture. Today, I'd like to explore what it means to be the temple of God as the church, God's new community. So today, I'm going to, first of all, show us three scriptures that identify the church in different ways as God's temple on earth. And then I want to explore the idea of why is this? Why did God go from the plan for hundreds of years of living on earth in a temple to changing it up radically the way it is today? So. Uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to show us three different Scriptures that talk about three different ways that the church, God's new community, is God's temple. The first one we'll look at talks about us as individuals. Every one of you, each of you, is a temple of God. The second passage we'll look at says that when each of us gather together in our church, we become corporately the temple of God. And the third passage we'll look at says that if you take all the temples, all the Christians around the world that gather in churches, they all together are the universal temple of God. So the first passage is in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Scripture says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 
You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is an amazing truth. Think about it as if you never had heard it before, that if God lived in a royal palace called a temple for the time since Moses down through the destruction of that temple in the year 70, for 1,500 years, God was on earth, isolated in a room called the Most Holy Place. And now, the New Testament says, there's no more physical temple. In fact, there's a lot of temples, and they're not found with walls around them, they're found with skin around them. They are the bodies of the believers in Jesus Christ. That's the first almost transforming truth. We actually have God, not just as a concept in our minds that we can think about, but as a presence in our souls, one whom we can commune with, we can draw near to. So that's the first verse I'd like us to look at. The second passage that Paul mentions about the temple of God widens the concept a bit. It's in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and beginning in verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Did you hear the plural? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So what Paul does here is expand the concept from an individual to a gathering of individuals. We call that the church. The church separate is you and I by ourselves. The church gathered, and by the way, I can't wait to regather in our worship center, and I hope we will do that soon. But when we do, we are experiencing that mysterious concept of what Paul says here, that when you gather together, together you represent this group of temples that actually then is a temple where God dwells in your midst. You ever wonder what makes a church worship service different than, say, going to watch a movie or a sports event or any other time when you get together with a lot of people. There's, if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. There's a certain um, sense that it's not just the people around you, your friends or the people you know or don't know that you're gathered together, but there's someone else with you that's binding you together. That's the beautiful thing about a Christian worship service. The third passage I'd like us to look at is Ephesians chapter 2. And here Paul says in verse 21, In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives 
by his spirit. Think of concentric circles, the smallest, you and I. You and I next when we gather together with our other brothers and sisters in a church, the body of Christ. And the third circle that Paul puts here is not just you or us, but all of God's people all over the earth are considered a temple. And this building, Paul says, is still a work in progress. It's still under construction, right? Because every day, every hour of every day, someone is coming to faith in Jesus. And there another stone built in this temple that rises to the Lord, a holy temple. Isn't that a great concept? It's a rich concept. So let me just pause and say, I, I'd like you to just ask yourself, has that truth penetrated your mind and your heart, the way you live and think? The truth that you are where God lives. You are where heaven and earth meet. You really are. So am I. Every Christian experiences God in them. That's a radical difference than it was for 1,500 years before Jesus came. But let's, let's ask another question. Why did God do that? Why, why did God switch the plan that he had for 1,500 years? That's a huge amount of time. Our country's only been around 200 years. To live in a temple, to have a system of sacrifices and priesthood, how did he change all that up and why did he change it up? Well, let me remind you that the how was that when God's presence left the temple in around the year 600 or so, the book of Ezekiel describes that God was so grieved and upset and insulted that his people were not following him but worshiping idols in his temple, he went back to heaven. And the Old Testament never ever records that God came from heaven to earth again. But the New Testament does. John tells us that Jesus, the Word, took on human flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe what Moses built as that earlier temple. Jesus was fully God and fully human and lived among us for 30 years. And as he did, he reflected the glory of God to people around him. And then he died and rose and ascended to heaven. And when he was there, he pours out his spirit first on that early church in Acts chapter 2, the first generation of believers, and they become mini temples. The building doesn't matter anymore because the whole plan has changed. It's gone upside down or inside out, as you wish. And if you keep reading in Scripture, one day God will come back, Jesus will return, and God will transform this old earth 
into a new earth and a new heaven where there will be no walls of a temple because the entire planet will be the temple of God, experiencing the unhindered presence of God with his people forever. Can't wait for that. So that's the big sweep of history, but my, my question is, why? What, what is God doing in this? Why didn't he keep it the same? And why isn't it the same? And why will it change? Well, if you think about it, it seems that what God is doing is progressively drawing nearer to his people in different stages of biblical history. So, when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, where did God show up again? Only by visions of God, where people would see him or God would speak to people and build an altar. Or maybe with Jacob, there was a ladder to heaven, but the ladder didn't stay there. It was one of those collapsible ladders like you have that go up to your attic. It was only then, later, that God said through Moses, I want to live with my people in a tabernacle and a temple. And then God says, I'm going to draw even nearer to my people Instead of having them go to see me, I will now live in them. I will be close to them, near to them. So let me ask you again. You realize you are a house of God? You're a temple of God? You know, if you said that to the average person, or maybe even you're thinking this way, you mean God would even live in such a sinful place? a sinful person like me? And the answer is no, he wouldn't. Because remember the video that talked about holiness and how God is kind of like the sun? You can't get too close to God or you'll get burned up in your current state because you are not a sun. Well, God says, no one can see me and live. But the only way that you can see God is to have God purify you because we can't purify ourselves. How can sinful people erase sin? It can't be done. It has to be done to us and for us by God alone. That's what Jesus did. The Holy Son of God took upon him the sins of the world, bearing them in his own body on the cross, so that all those that look to him in faith would receive the gift of forgiveness and righteousness forever. Not a continual animal sacrifice year by year, month by month, or day by day, but rather that eternal cleansing that comes once for all. Holy God makes people holy. That word set apart God is so infinite in his perfections. There was no one like him. And this is amazing, isn't it, that God says, when I come to forgive my people, I give them a status of righteous, holy. In fact, the word the Bible uses, he calls us saints. That means holy ones, ones who are set apart. And that's our calling, and that's what God sees, and that's what God wants. 
And that's what he wants us to start to own and cooperate with him as he starts to change us progressively from glory to glory. So I'd like to ask, isn't this just the greatest thing in the world that God would want to come near us and live inside us and take us who are unholy and make us holy after he declares us holy? You know what that means? That means that you and I should be panting after righteousness. That's one of the Beatitudes. We need to pursue holiness. And that's our calling as Christians, to turn from our old ways, those inborn habits and traits, those practices that just come naturally. We need to learn what should come supernaturally so that we can have greater fellowship with our near God who is in us. I have found a book very, very helpful recently, and it's called Created to Draw Near, written by our friend Ed Welch. Ed has preached for us at Chelton. And uh, this is such a wonderful book, 38 short chapters, all about our life as God's royal priests. And I found something he said here to be so uplifting and helpful to me. I'd like to share this with you when we talk about holiness. He says, simply put, the way of holiness is obedience. This obedience is our personal response to him. Though obedience can feel almost painful at times, such as when we take a stand against sinful temptations, obedience is good. It is one way we move from being merely human and enslaved to our desires to being fully human and more alive. That's what obedience is. That's what growing in holiness means. It means owning more of what it means to be truly human, made in the image of God and renewed in the image of Christ. Then he says this, Instead of considering your growth in Christ as progressive sanctification, have you ever heard of that term? Which is a fine expression, identifying that growth in holiness does not come all at once and seems quite slow at times. Ed says, think of it as progressive nearness. Progressive nearness. Sin separates even after we are made holy. When we turn from sin, we turn back to the light and life, and we experience fellowship with a clear conscience. God's laws are instructions about how to be in relationship with him. That's what obedience is. It's not simply checking off a list of external duties to be done, but it's rather working on the wiring in our hearts so that they start to be holy, start to be whole, holistic, representing God here on earth. After all, if we are the temples of God, if heaven meets earth inside us, doesn't it make sense that God would pour out his power, his spirit in us, so that we would be like him? Let me ask you then, 
What does it look like in your life, in your temple, to pursue holiness, to pursue God, and to pursue the change in your attitudes, your words, your actions, that show more of who He is and who you should be than who you were before you became a Christian, before you became a temple of God. You were a temple to yourself and your sin. One final thought. We're not here on earth just to get to know God and draw near to Him. But like those worshipers in that temple of old who made their pilgrimage, made their sacrifices, met their God, and worshiped and found that satisfaction, they left the temple and they lived different lives. So, as temples, we are the bridge between heaven and earth for other people. Have you ever thought of it that way? You may be the only way that people see God when they hear your words, when they see your generosity, when they hear you ask for forgiveness, when they hear your wisdom when it comes to things that are going on in our culture right now. And as a Christian, you're looking at things way differently than we're hearing on the news or the media or our friends or our social media probably way differently, because what you're saying is, as the temple of God, I'm connected to a higher authority. I'm in touch with the God of the universe who's ruling all things, and he's doing very well, even though I may not understand it. I, uh, this week, had my physical, my yearly physical, and when the doctor came in, he said, how are you? I said, well, I'm doing okay. I said, how are you? He said, oh, this mask, these times. And he started to share with me how frustrating it is to not know really what's going on and then to not know what the hope is. And when I told him that, you know, I'm, you know, he knows I'm a pastor, and, uh, I said, as a Christian, I know that I have a hope in a God who's in charge of everything and in the Bible, his word that tells me all about him and about life. And I said, uh, I'm not subject to the whims of crowds and what they're suggesting we do, or uh, politicians, or the news, but rather when I see something or hear something, I try to say, what is God's voice? What is God's word about racial injustice? What is God's words say about caring for my neighbor, taking care of myself and them with a virus or with a financial need? Or how am I praying for people instead of trying to have all the fixes? Am I pointing people to God? So eventually he got to me and my test results, but it was an interesting conversation that just reminded me, you know, Everyone is on edge these days. What a time we have, unlike it was four months ago, for people to be ready to hear from heaven, 
when they see you, the temple of God, where heaven and earth meet. So be ready this week. Be ready to pursue holiness, nearness to your God like you never have before. And be ready to shine out his light from the temple. That's you. In closing, I'd like to make our prayer from a hymn, one of my favorites. It's called Nearer, Still Nearer. Nearer, still nearer, nothing I bring, not as an offering to Jesus my King, only my sinful, now contrite heart. Grant me the cleansing thy blood doth impart. Nearer, still nearer, Lord, to be thine, sin with its follies I gladly resign. All of its pleasures, pomp, and its pride, give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. Nearer, still nearer, while life shall last, till safe in heaven my anchor is cast. Through endless ages ever to be, nearer my Savior, still nearer to thee. May it be so. In the name of the one who made the way for us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.